Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Possum University Podcast, the podcast for dog people. If it's your first time listening, I'm John, a former animal cruelty officer and a former animal shelter supervisor. And I'm Jamie. I am a certified dog trainer and a canine behavioral consultant. On this episode, what makes an adoptable dog? Ooh. All that and more coming up next. Feels good to belt it out first try. Yeah. That's, it's been months. It's been a really long since time. Since I was able to even do that first try. It's been months since yeah. we've even done this. I know. When was Inara, Inara's episode was released December 8th, so and about a we, month ago. And we um, recorded that like a week prior to that. So. Two weeks prior because I needed a little extra time to edit it. Yeah. Um, when there's extra people on that aren't especially in the over zoom it's yeah. very difficult especially all the way in california yeah. and they had to they had their baby because their ba- baby wasn't asleep at the time so i had to edit out the little yep. the cute little coos they were very <laughs> distracting um so yeah it's been about six weeks we hope you had a very merry christmas a happy hanukkah a happy new year mm-hmm. um we hope that you're staying healthy i know this new omicron surge is getting a lot of people sick yeah but thankfully seeming to be very mild so fingers crossed stay yep. healthy um yeah, it's been why? Why has it been six weeks since we put an episode out? We've been very, very. We've been busy. getting sick. We we've been sick. So let's backtrack. Um, when was I? When did I go to the hospital? We will talk about dogs if it's your first yes. time listening. We're going to talk about dogs <laughs> in a second. We're just updating since it's been a really long time since our um, avid listeners have heard from us. Um, I wound up going to the hospital. That was December, right? <sighs> yes. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Mid, like early December. It was before Christmas. It was definitely way before Christmas. I was fine. Mid, maybe mid-December. Um, I wound up waking up one day and I was just really, really like run down. I felt exhausted. Like everything I did, every move I made, I was like out of breath. And I just felt really crappy. And like John came in from taking care of the farm and he's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't know. I just feel like I can't get up. I have to like sit. And um, I tried to eat. I felt even crappier. And then he was like, go take a nap. I went into bed and then I stayed there all day until we went to the hospital because I started getting these really weird pains in my stomach. And then not like a stomach ache. It was weird. I don't know. Um, And then I had really bad back pain, which wouldn't go away, which, you know, back pain is not abnormal for me. But this was this was weird. I couldn't get comfortable. Doesn't matter. It didn't matter where I laid or how I laid. It it wouldn't go away or or get better. Um, And then so we went to the hospital because I was kind of nervous about the baby. Um, I am now six months pregnant. Um, And we went. And of course, that night, how many people were in the emergency room? Uh, it was insane. It was, it was like 140 oh, yeah, It was people. almost 200 people, I think. Yeah, it was insane. So I never even got a room. <laughs> we were just chilling in the ER, like with a bunch of people there. It was crazy. Um, like they gave, they took my blood in the ER. Like it, it was, it was really nuts. Um, everything came back completely normal. Nothing, nothing came up. Urine, um, the ultrasound, um, every, no COVID, no flu. It was crazy. Um, so we just went home. I passed out. And oh, um, I'm sorry, um, I hear like a noise, and I don't know what it's your chair. I didn't want to move and make a bigger noise, so I was kind of just letting it happen. Um, yeah, and okay, well, yeah, you were sick. I was sick. <laughs> then, I was sick, and we never really found out why. And then the how you you were finally feeling better again, and then um, everybody got sick. And then you had a, to catch up on a lot of like virtual stuff yeah. and a lot of in person trainings, and then the holidays. We were we, we wanted to take a break at the holidays yes. and spend time with JJ. It's the first. Christmas, like where real he's Christmas, like excited, and <laughs> yeah. he got his big boy bed. Yes, um, we talked about getting goats, right? Yeah, yeah, we had to have. Yeah, we've got our four goats. I don't know if we I told think everybody we talked the name. about it in 
the names uh, of the little ones. The Ask the Trainer episode. Yep. So we have Bean and Kona. Mm-hmm. Bean has two babies that are probably around like 10 months old now. We decided to name them Cream and Sugar. Cream and Sugar. Very nice. And then we got, so after the holidays, then um, sick again with food poisoning. But here we are. Yes. We're back and we're going to talk about what makes an adoptable dog. And do you know why I want to talk about this topic? No. Really? I, I When you said it, I was kind of surprised. Right, that's why I queued this up. Okay, let's hear it. You know, Like most of my good ideas, it started with me getting angry about something. That's <laughs> um, how we got here, right? I, I need to, how can I get this to, see, this is tough because I'm going to play a reel and it's hard to just get the damn reel to play from the beginning, right? Okay. All right. Are they going to be able to hear it? Yes. Okay. So it's about to start over. Let's look at the difference between a dangerous dog and a safe dog oh. and what testing tells us. What resource guarding... T- okay, so, but this reel is, is she says, let's look at the difference between a dangerous dog and a, a an, non, adoptable, an dog. adoptable dog. Yeah. And they show a pit bull who they're putting a food bowl down in front of and then they're doing the antiquated assess-a-hand assessment where the dog is just trying to eat. And this is wet food. So it's a high value food. And he's skinny. Like he looks, he it looks, looks skinny. like wet food. It's definitely wet food. And so they they take this, basically it's like a plastic or a rubber hand. It's creepy. On a, on a pole and they start petting the dog while they're eating. And they're, they're trying to provoke a reaction on yes. the dog. That's the way they, they do these assessments. And the general idea is, okay, if the dog guards from this fake hand, they're going to guard from a human. And yeah. if they bite the hand, they're not biting the hand of the assessor. So nobody actually gets hurt. Mm-hmm. So, but the, the problem here is she's saying that this is a dangerous, a dangerous dog. dog and a safe dog. And what testing tells us what resource guarding testing tells us is if a dog is likely to do severe damage in the home. So now they're doing an adoptable dog who's got his tail tucked and he just he looks like a puppy and he's just trying to eat his food. In real life, people will try to take things from their dog. So it's important that we know that if somebody tries to take something from a dog, it may growl, it could snap, but it shouldn't really injure them. Let's look at the Okay. So, now we're going back. And we're going back to the first dog, dog again. And, what and I'm just going to give us. a little. So, they're petting the dog and he's still eating and he's kind of licking his lips and growling and they're continuing to pet over and over and he's he's showing his teeth, lifting his lips. Even though he's giving proper communication. He communicated for about, I don't know, Almost 10 seconds mm-hmm. before he decided to snap yep. at the hand and then return to his food bowl. Now, my problem here is that she's obviously put this out. And I don't know who did it because it's one of these. Oh, like when they repost. It's one of these leech. Yeah. These, you know, life-sucking accounts that just share other people's content like it's their own and they, yeah. it blows up. Yep. Um, yeah, Dog Chowie or some stupid account like that. So I don't know who actually put this out. And there's no tag for like how to actually add them. But she's trying to put out information. And it's bad information. It's horrible information. It's been, you're, first, you're labeling this dog as dangerous. So let's ask you, the mm-hmm. behavior consultant. Yes. Who obviously thinks this video is ridiculous. It's, and uh, the second I saw it, I was like, this is going to piss me off. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only time people the send second, us videos. The second anyone says dangerous dog, I know I'm going to get angry. Yes. So you're, you know resource guarding very well yes what is the root of resource guarding the reader the the root of resource guarding is insecurity and most of the time trauma 
So we have to figure out what's going on with this dog. And that's exactly what we do in our virtual trainings is when I have someone come to me, they say their dog is resource guarding. I have to figure out, I have to play detective. I have to see what's going on here. Has, is this something that they were kind of born with DNA wise? Is their genetics kind of messed up, which does happen. It's okay. Uh, we can fix it, but, or is it something that they learned, right? Like we had that four, three month old puppy who was guarding because she was put in a situation where they had no food. Like her puppies, there was eight puppies and they just threw a, a a couple of cups of food on the floor and it was fend for yourself. Right. So of course she was going to guard, right? She learned how to live. And that's, you know, that again, that can be fixed as well. But that doesn't mean that she's dangerous. You're going to tell me a three-month-old puppy that's guarding is dangerous? Yeah, she might land a bite, but is she is she deadly? No. You know what I mean? Like we, and it's, it doesn't even matter the size or the, or the age. Like we can, if we respect dogs spaces and their communication, we can fix this. Um, I, you're going on a huge tangent. I I just asked you a question. I'm just angry. Just Just relax. We're going to get there. I promise you. All right. I promise you we're going to get there. Did I answer the question? The root is insecurity. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So the root is insecurity. Where are these assessments being held typically when you're assessing a dog for adoptability? In the shelter and on these rescues. In the shelter. So now it's a stressful situation. Um, what, like contributing factors to resource guarding, I think in my opinion, the biggest thing is not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. Mm -hmm. So the instability of going from a home to a shelter then makes you feel like, or makes the dog feel like, you know, I might not still have this resource. So they don't know if their access is going to change. Or they were stray and they were looking for food so they were already kind of in that mindset of trying to fend for themselves and now they get put in a situation where they can't find it themselves they're stuck in a cage all day and the only time they get to eat is when somebody feeds them a bowl so they have a history of an unreliable resource Mm -hmm. or unreliable access to resource so you're taking a dog and in this they were comparing what looked like a six to eight month old puppy oh the comparisons is ridiculous to this dog and again this dog was very forgiving for Almost mm-hmm. ten seconds of nonstop contact, yeah. giving giving signals. But I, I hate the assess a hand, and I hate doing provocative assessments for resource guarding in the shelter. Mm-hmm. I just think it's it's stupid. I think that dogs, countless dogs every year, die because of it. Mm-hmm. Because I'm pretty sure if she's labeling this dog as dangerous, they went ahead and euthanized this oh, 100%. dog. Oh, hundred percent. You're putting that dog in a box, and it can't get out of the box mm-hmm. if you if you do that to them. It's not fair. And we talked about uh, compassion fatigue and how sometimes the shelters that actually do more, that actually have more of the resources, will actually, like, it takes a bigger toll on those staff members. Mm So I'm not not saying that she didn't bat an eye at the fact that it's just so much easier to label this dog as dangerous and you feel like you're doing a service for the community and then take your video and then euthanize it. But what... What drives me nuts is what is she trying to do with this video? I don't know. Apparently the common person's going to see this video, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who just likes dogs in general, right? Uh, Probably not a ton of shelter people in general. Uh, And what, what is that doing for the, that's making the general public scared of dogs that guard. Right. You're conditioning people to see, to, to link in their mind, resource guarding with dangerous. And it's, no. And it, or a dangerous dog. And while, while resource guarding in itself is dangerous and you can get seriously hurt by a dog that resource guards, it's not the hallmark of a dog that should be euthanized. No. Plain and simple, especially in a shelter setting. Mm-hmm. So that's 
that's what I'm angry about today. Um, and as usual, I prepared two studies for you. Of course you did. And that I wish I knew who this girl was so that I could send her these studies because obviously <laughs> she needs she needs help with some resources because yeah. she's giving really, really full and it, it probably blew up, right? So how many people saw that video? Well, it got picked up by one of these viral leeches that just shared it. Ridiculous. And then that one got hundreds of thousands of views. So I don't know how much the original got dog chowie on Instagram. If you want to try and find this video, it's a real. All right. So the first one I want to share with you, I have to, I didn't highlight anything. So it's a little difficult. First one I want to skin. share with you is this one is published in the MDPI Journal of Animals. It's uh, where's where's the year? This one's all there. We go. This was published April 2012, and it's titled "Preliminary Investigation of Food Guarding Behavior in Shelter Dogs in the United States." And we're just gonna go ahead. Do the simple summary. I'm giving you the simple summary. This study identified 96 dogs that guarded their food bowl during an assessment and when placed in them into a home on a modification program. Food guarding behavior was identified as stiffening, gulping, growling, freezing, and or biting a fake hand during the safer assessment. So this dog did all of those things all the way up to biting. So this, this study did not exclude dogs who bit. This study included dogs who did everything. Okay. Dogs that exhibited guarding behavior over toys were excluded because that's it's not different. The same. It's not the same. It's a toy. It, it, it's not technically a resource. Right. To some dogs it might be, but like it's Only not because food, of water. Previous trauma. You can, you can get away with not having toys in the house. You yes. can't not have food. So follow-up was done at three days, three weeks, and three months post-adoption. And these people were doing their modification programs at home. And post-adoption, they were measuring all guarding behavior in the home. Six adopters reported at least one incident. So six of the 96 reported one incident involving guarding in the first three weeks, of which only one was around the food bowl. By three months, those adopters reported no guarding behavior except one new occurrence of a dog guarding a rawhide was reported in the third month. Very high value, Mm -hmm. not tested in the safer. For for a dog identified with food guarding, the return rate at the shelter was 5%, and that's compared to a 9% overall return rate of of adult dogs in that same shelter. Or in the same shelter systems, okay, not identified with with the guarding behavior. Yeah. So basically, what they what they found in this study is not only did these dogs go home and not exhibit the resource guarding behavior anymore, they actually had a lower, almost half a return rate than dogs without resource guarding. Just for other reasons. For other reasons, or you know, maybe too yeah. much energy. I don't know what the reasons are. But I mean, look at um, I'll use my client, another client out in California, um. He, his name is Solo. Uh, they adopted him and he started guarding a few months in. Um, it started with toys and then food uh, and they didn't know how to handle it. And they didn't give up on him. Like just because a dog guards doesn't mean that people are going to 100% turn their nose up at this dog and say they don't want them. Yes, yeah, some people will because they don't want to deal with that. But the, this couple loves this dog. They love him. They want to figure this out. So we've been working and unfortunately, they, they did other methods prior to working with me. So we're kind of undoing what was done because they just didn't know any better. Um, and he's doing so well, you know, and, and it, it, they didn't return him. They didn't even really talk to the rescue because they knew what they were going to say. Uh, because this is, this is what happens in the shelter environment. If a dog guards, it's basically a death sentence and it drives me up a wall. 
Because why, why can Solo live in his house for the past six months okay and, and we're working on it and everyone's safe and everyone's okay and we're not using an assess a hand and we're not pushing him? It's also important to note that, uh, important to note that the assess a hand is not a hand. No, it's creepy. And I, I'm pretty sure dogs probably, the ones that are looking up enough to see that it's a pole on yeah. the other end, you know, it's not the same as a hand. So then you can, you say they bite the assess a hand. Can you even say that they would bite a human hand? No, because the way that they bite the assess a hand is very different than I've seen dogs bite hands in general. Right. So I don't, I just don't find it to be reliable. Now, my next study that I want to share with you, oh, you just kicked my headphones. Sorry. There. We really need to get wireless ones. So this one was published in the uh, Journal of Veterinary Behavior. You can read it on sciencedirect.com. It was published in 2016. It's titled, No Better Than Flipping a Coin, Reconsidering Canine Behavior Evaluations in Animal Shelters. And I'm just going to get to the meat and potatoes of this one. Yeah, so essentially, I'll give you a little excerpt from the study. Shelters already screened from adoption, or... This is a little jumbled. Shelters already screen obviously dangerous dogs during the intake process. Subsequent provocative testing of the general population of shelter dogs is predicated on an assumption of risk that is far in excess of existing data and relies on assumptions about dog behavior that may not be supportable. So put that in normal words. Uh, basically, you there's no data to back up the what the dog might do. Like you can't assume. Yeah. And th that's what they found is that you can't, make assumptions on their behavior, and this kind of leads into the 2012 study, is that you can't make assumptions on behavior accurately yeah, based on a behavior inside of a shelter and with provocative testing where you're trying to provoke a reaction. You can find the, the calmest person on the street, right? And you can provoke them enough where yeah. they're going to do something. Yeah. And you can find the nicest dog and provoke them enough where they're going to bite you. We have to stop putting dogs into boxes. And that's where I said, like, this dog in this in this reel was it. it was almost ten seconds of provoking before it actually bit, and it gave every. I would be more concerned if everything seemed fine and dandy, then all of a sudden, boom, it just snapped. Yeah, because then you're talking about suppressed uh, warning signs, suppressed um, suppressed communication. Yes, this dog communicated. This dog did everything right, mm -hmm. and now it's being blasted on social media, and who knows what its fate is. Yeah. Um, I just want to make sure there's nothing else important on the study I want to bring up. I actually had another client last night that came to me first session, um, that they adopted. He was abused. They, I guess he was either surrendered by the shelter or, um, typical situation of like humane police came and like basically said, you have to give up the dog because the neighbors called or something like that. So they obviously knew what was going on and the guy gave him up. And, um, so he lives with, um, this girl and her parents and he's bitten the, the girl and the dad once. Um, and it was always when their hands were moving and it was on the couch both times, but he was giving belly, like he was trying to be submissive. Uh, but I do think that the guy who had him prior that abused him trained out his communication because he doesn't really give a growl or anything like that, but he will get stiff. So I said, we really have to watch that and we have to encourage him to communicate and don't yell at him or anything like that. So um, they felt much better after the session knowing what to do moving forward and how we're going to do this and how we're going to fix this uh, so this doesn't happen ever again. You know, so they took a chance on a dog that they knew was abused, that this could happen. Right. And uh, the last bit, the, the other, the 
end of the conclusion on that study was that the the two two individuals that did this study um you okay dying did you aspirate your tea <laughs> i did oh uh instead of striving to bring out the worst in dogs in the stressful and temporary environment of a shelter and devoting scarce resources to inherently flawed and, and unvalidated formal evaluations how much more productive might it be to focus our energies on giving every dog the opportunity to be at his or her best it may be far better for dogs, shelters, and communities uh, if effort was spent regularly interacting with every shelter dog in normal and even enjoyable ways involving activities in which they will be expected to engage. Walking, socializing with people, play groups with other dogs, games, and training to enrich their experience and minimize the adverse effects of being relinquished and confined to an unfamiliar environment rather than investing additional resources into what is likely a losing proposition for all concerned. I think that really kind of sums it up eloquently. Yeah. I mean, I tell people all the time, like they come to me and, and they're like, Oh, you know, I can, I can do whatever I want to my dog. And I'm like, okay, well, I want you to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? And I, I literally just spoke to, um, she's, she's, uh, you know, older than the typical client I usually work with. Um, she's got a younger Roddy and she said, you know, when he's eating, when I touch him, he growls. And I'm like, why are you touching him? She said, well, you know, I feel like I should be able to. I said, but why? Does he touch you while you're eating? Would you accept that? What If he jumped on you while you were eating, wouldn't you push him off you? She's like, yeah, I would. I'm like, so why do we push boundaries that we don't accept ourselves? Right. Because, it's not fair. Because someone's kid might go up and... And, and she said, well, what if one yeah. of my boys has... Uh, one of my grandkids, I said, well, then it's on you guys to parent your child. Right. That, so you need that, to I'm set sorry. those boundaries. Your, your kids should be <clears throat> respecting the boundaries. Uh, and then if they're too young to comprehend that or too young to, to respect the boundaries, then you need to physically create boundaries. For Absolutely. Them. And there's, there's no reason why we can't work on these things. So we can trust our dogs a little bit more in these situations. Like if sometimes we have dogs that if you drop something, you're going to have a guarding situation. Every dog is different with their guarding behaviors. Um, some dogs, it's just their food bowl. And some dogs, it's like, okay, well, if it hits the ground, it's mine, right? And in those situations, yeah, it might be dangerous with a child around, depending on the situation and what happens. But you can work on those things. If your dog does have guarding behaviors, that means that we have other things that we have to work on. Not just that scenario in itself. That's not your biggest issue. Your dog is insecure. Your dog's needs are not being met. So either you're not giving mental stimulation or positive attention or enough physical exercise, they're missing something. Yeah, or they haven't decompressed from the shelter yet. Exactly. And then, you know, that's what I believe happens in all these, the, those 96 dogs in that study is that. That dog looked after, stressed before he even started eating. Right. And it's ridiculous. So some people might be wondering, am I suggesting we don't even assess for resource guarding? And what I'm saying is that we already assess for resource guarding. When you're working in a shelter, as long as it's a shelter that's taking care of these dogs every single day, that's taking them for walks, that's mm -hmm. feeding them. There is somebody working one-on-one -on -one with this dog every single day for cleaning, for feeding, for walks, for if they do include training. And most shelter systems will have a seven-day stray hold or, you know, even if a dog surrendered, they have to be held for seven days for their place up for adoption. Yeah. I think in seven days, the opportunity is going to arise for a dog to resource guard because mm -hmm. the only time that, like, when I was in the shelter a dog that was truly a resource guarder would resource guard the second the food went into the to the dig into the kennel mm -hmm. 
the second it went in there, they would begin to resource guard. Yep. So we would have to slide it all the way to the back. That's so that why they have those little the little tunnels on the bottom of the doors, remember? Yeah. It's like a little door. For lost and found. That it would only fit the bowl. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, it, for a genuine, unprovoked resource guard incident, or a dog that is going to resource guard without being provoked and pushed, they're going to show their true colors in normal day-to-day taking care of them. Um, and that is when you should be alarmed, and that's when you need to bring in that's when you need to start training it out. Yeah. And start but, worrying about it. But I do think like, I mean, we know from our experience working in, in shelters and rescues and stuff like that is that when these adoption counselors are talking to the adoptive parents, they give them a ton of information, right? So why can't we say, hey, do X, Y, Z. Don't touch the bowl. Don't, don't provoke them. Don't touch the food. Right. Like we say everything else under the sun, but we leave this part out. I think people need to drop the expectation of, you're going to be allowed to handle your dog's food once you give them the food. Um, I think that comes from a place of pride. Oh, yeah. And if you really want to be able to regain control of their resource, then you need to teach them to leave it. Or I think leave it's really the only one because weight might get a little confusing for them. Yes, weight is but confusing. teach them leave it. If you need to get back to the food, if something's wrong, you know, I don't know, you realize that you're my mother and you gave your dog onions yeah. and the meatloaf and you, oh my God, there's onions in there. That, that That's where you use your leave it command. Yeah. And then. It happens. We're right. human. We Shit make happens. mistakes. But yeah, that's, I, I think I, I think, I think. But I'm this point is, across. I feel this better. This is across the board how most shelters function. And like, you know, we're, we're working closely uh, with Sammy's Hope and I think they do a great job. Um, and, you know, when we, me and Joan were talking, we were talking about the assessments and stuff and they also use the hand. And I was like, that's not my favorite thing. She's like, honestly, we don't, we don't know what else to do. They, a lot of shelters don't know what else to do, especially if they don't have a trainer on hand. Someone that doesn't, doesn't actually work there or volunteer there and actually know what they're doing. Yeah. There's a very big difference, and this was the other thing I wanted to talk about today, was the difference between obedience training and behavioral training. They're in completely different realms of the world. We'll save that for the next episode. Yeah. For sure. Because so, that's the, I know, you've talked about this before, but I know that you've got to get it off your chest again, so the mics are hot and ready for it. We're all pent up. It's been a while. Um, But yeah, and then in like Joan's case, like, you, I, I you don't need to test for... Research. You don't need to provoke resource guarding out of a dog. I think people bring up the uh, the the risk factor, right? That the that the shelter or rescue itself takes on if they're adopting a dog out that will do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that because we hear that all the time, like, well, you know, it's a liability. Well, I mean, any dog could do anything, right? And I, I respected that liability until until we can look at find studies that are not flawed. Mm-hmm. That show us scientifically, statistically, there there is no you know these these ways to to figure out if a dog is going to resource guard or these assessments on behavior in the shelter are not reliable. No, they're, they're really, not reliable. They're really not. So, are you really taking on less risk? Or when you do this assessment and then I take a dog home and then that dog resource guards for me and bites me and then I say. They gave me this dog and they used the safer assessment. And here's all these studies. Yeah, I feel like it almost makes it worse. That are backdated <laughs> that say that this isn't good. And they weren't keeping up on their studies. Pay me. Yeah. You know, well, 100%. there's risk there too. So I think that the your best option is to have a close relationship with every dog in your care. You know, don't just 
don't be the shelter that slides the food along the floor to the back of the kennel to every dog. Mm-hmm. Have the opportunity to see how they're going to react when you actually put the food bowl down. It's on, if you're taking that job on, it's on you. Right. Treat them. Let them play in the park. See how they are if you want to play ball and you want to get a ball back. And if they start to show you, they start to stiffen get up. a little like, weird. You need to know the signs. If they start to show you those early signs, you do a trade. And you respect you, those boundaries. You get the toy out of there. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. And then you can go and say, okay, he got a little stiff with this. And then and then you know on, on the file when someone's looking to adopt, you talk about resource guarding. Whether nothing was observed, you can say, you know, his whole time in the shelter, we didn't observe any resource guarding. Mm-hmm. Nothing like that. Or you can say he was in the park and... There was one incident where he got a little stiff with a tennis ball. So I would hold off on on toys, you know, unless you're in a position where you can trade and there's, you know, no kids around. Make the right choices, but it doesn't need to be a death sentence. And you don't need to be provoking this out of dogs just just for the hell of it. See, like for that, like let's say the dog guards the tennis ball. Yeah, like in the beginning as they're decompressing, probably don't bring tennis balls into the house, right? Um, But those are the dogs that do require training almost immediately you know give them give them a few weeks kind of chill in the house or whatever but that client that that adopter needs to know yeah get a behavioral trainer a little it doesn't take long it really doesn't you just need to know the psychology of it which a lot of my clients just basically come to us for one or two sessions they understand what to do and they move forward on their own they don't need us right right and i usually tell them which is really a terrible business model but I'm not in the business, <laughs> it's a joke. you know, it really, yes, obviously, you know, the more people that come back repeatedly obviously makes us more money, but that's really, I want dogs not to die. That's, you know, why John and I got into this business to begin with. So I'm okay with people doing what they can and what they can afford as long as they do it correctly and these dogs are okay. Um, you know, and you know, then if you, you move forward and you, you're working with a trainer and you know what you're doing, you give that dog 20 tennis balls. And you let them have at it and you don't touch the tennis balls. And they know this tennis ball is not going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's their tennis ball, right? Um, You know, it always brings me back to that girl that I saw in Wawa. Remember she saw our truck and she was like, oh my God, I follow you on Instagram. I got, you know, I'm working with another trainer right now, working on my dog's guarding. And like when, when he guards the food bowl, I pick it up and I tell him it's my food bowl. And I'm like, then you don't listen to our podcast. I'm so confused. If it's your food bowl. Eat out of it right That's now. What I'm it's Let me see you eat that dog food. food bowl. You bought it for your dog. Let me see you eat that kibble. I just, I was floored. I was like, wait a minute. You're like trying to impress you. Impress me. And you're saying the exact opposite of what I tell people right. to do. Didn't you start this conversation with, I follow you on Instagram? I know. Like, how long have you been following? Because not that long. Um, all right. So we can wrap this one up, but I want to bring up one other important thing. Okay. And this one is not about resource guarding, but is is about behavior observed in the shelter that ends up like that really affected this dog's life and affected this dog getting adopted for a year and a half. And then lo and behold, it was nonsense. Uh, remember Nika? Yes. I thought I was either going to be Opie or Nika. Nika was a, she was like, what, what was she? She was like a cattle dog. She's a cattle dog mix. Yeah. I think. Um, she was beautiful, but she was crazy. Super dog reactive oh, in the shelter. She would scream bloody murder. Super reactive, especially on, on leash when she had to be in a, in a special dig all the way in the corner so that she would not see, see any dogs. Not see any dogs. She was the first dog that people would see when they'd walk in. And she's a beautiful dog. Gorgeous. Without the reactivity, she would have been adopted in a week. Oh, yeah. Guaranteed. She was there for, I think, over a year and a half. But she's a dog that typically shows poorly. And she was she was marketed as only dog. 
Dog aggressive. Dog aggressive. Dog aggressive. Only dog. Yep. Um, they wouldn't let her socialize. They wouldn't even try. And it was almost like when she was being shown to a doctor, it was almost like, see, look, this is how she gets, you see? It was like that kind of deal where <laughs> yeah. it's like like setting her up to fail. Yeah. Um, and so she gets adopted. And what do we find out? Like two months down the line? Yeah, we get a picture of her snuggling with a pit bull. She's snuggling with <laughs> another dog. <laughs> And she lived in an apartment, which I don't think anybody thought she was going to be living in an apartment when she got adopted. Right. So, like, people can do anything after Listen, they adopt a dog. It, she lived in a, in a I don't know, what is that, like, eight by six space yeah. or a year and a half? Yeah. She could live in an apartment. Yeah. She'll be all right. She'll be fine. Snuggling with a pit yep. bull. Are so, you kidding me? And then me? I think they told us that she went to daycare, like, every day. Yeah. I was not happy. She was just frustrated. Like, that screaming, the barking, like, it doesn't necessarily mean you have an aggressive dog guess what could have been done in that year and a half a pair walk yeah maybe one pair walk um go to the park anything 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 so many things to be done that is all my my message for you it happens if all the time you're a volunteer or you're a shelter employee um take behavior in the shelter with a grain of salt this is an unfamiliar place a lot of the assessments that um that have been thought of or haven't been thought of yet are provocative in nature and they're intended to provoke a response so be careful be safe make the right choice but we got to do better don't don't send dogs uh to death for a reaction that you provoked yeah all right uh follow us on instagram at possum university um go like my reels yeah we'll be we'll be a lot of effort into them we'll be back now we we are in a groove yeah we're gonna knock out another one right now we, yep. For that topic you just brought up, yep. and we're going to be, I would like, I say this all the time, we're going to be back to weekly uploads. Yeah. So you should be seeing them as if you're subscribed, you should be getting the notifications weekly again that, you know, a new podcast episode's available. I think we're going to stick with a Friday upload date now, and I'm going to switch it over to season four so it would be more organized. It's my phone buzzing, sorry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look forward to that. We're going to be hopefully recording. YouTube videos as well, informative, really like in depth to- yeah. topics on specific things. Yeah, we got it. We're, we uh, we have a groove here, and we have childcare. We have childcare. <laughs> We're ready to rock and roll. Yes, it's twenty twenty two. We are starting this new year off right, and we hope you have a fantastic year and you enjoy everything we have planned for you. And if you guys have been contemplating reaching out for a virtual training, regardless of where you are in the world. You won't regret it. You're booking up, though. I am You're, booking up. Like, I don't know what happened the last three weeks. It was like two a day. Well, were think about in. how many people got dogs for Christmas. Mm, that didn't always think about that. That always. I I was expect, and I think in the next two months, like I think February, March are going to be insane because yeah. people got the dog for Christmas. Things are going to settle in. They're going to try and do everything DIY and it's not going to work. And people yeah. are going to come to me, and I'm going to have a well, ton of puppies on my hands. If you're if you're interested in starting some virtual trainings with Jamie. Um, I would, I would reach out soon. Otherwise you're probably going to get pushed off into like March at this point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, it's booking up. And then if you're local to the New Jersey area, we have group classes now. So we have our reactive dog class, which is doing great. Oh, God. And, uh, we're we just, just need the weather to cooperate. We will be starting a puppy class. It's supposed to be starting Saturday, but we could potentially gonna, have a big storm. We're going to try and see what happens. Shift that week to the end. And then it'll be starting the following Saturday, the 29th. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. PaulsonUniversity.com. You can find all that information. Follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode and want to share it with somebody, 
please do. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you could rate us five stars. We really appreciate it. Uh, that's all we have for this one. Until next week. Class dismissed.